Okay, so it's been a week since Treasurer Jim Chalmers handed down his federal budget for the upcoming financial year. So chances are you've had a bit of time to digest some of what's in there and what it means for your finances. Or perhaps with so much information flying about, you haven't quite worked it all out. Someone that has taken a solid look through the budget papers is AMP's Chief Economist Shane Oliver, who I'm pleased to say is joining us to talk through it. Shane, welcome back to the Savings Tip Jar podcast. Thanks, and uh, great to be here. Our first repeat guest, Shane. So first question off the off the top, uh, what are your general thoughts on the budget, um, especially in relation to the individual? Were there any surprises in the budget? Look, to be honest with you, I don't think there are any major surprises at the level of in ordinary Australians. Uh, at a macro level, there was, uh, to the extent that the budget numbers now look a lot healthier, uh, where it looks like we're even heading for a surplus this financial year and much smaller deficits in the years ahead. And the government has tried to put a bit of a cap on spending growth, which seemed to be just growing exorbitantly. Uh, so that's good news. Uh, at the level of, of the individual, a lot of the measures were previously released. You know, the, obviously, the measures to reduce energy bills, um, rent relief, and so on. Uh, most of those things, I think, make sense. It's very hard to envisage a government not providing some of that sort of support, given the difficult financial situations many Australians face at present with rising interest rates and cost of living pressures. Um, but by the same token, uh, when you add them all up, they're relatively modest. I know some economists say, well, they shouldn't have been spending that money. That's going to cause inflation. I think when you look at it at the end of the day, it's a relatively modest amount going back to those who most need it. You know, people on unemployment benefits, for example, um, I don't think it's going to cause a huge inflation problem. And in the meantime, you've got lots of Australians uh, earning more than they were previously where the wages have gone up a bit. Uh, we're getting more for our iron ore. And that, of course, is helping to take more of the more money out of the economy than the budget's actually putting back in. So I'm not overly concerned about the inflation threat that some others seem to be. Let's just go into a bit more detail about that sort of inflation. Um, obviously, you know, Shane, as you touched on, you know, some have argued that uh, this budget hinders efforts to tame inflation, whether that's through the, the higher welfare payments or the energy bill relief or even increasing a, a tax on truckies. So, yeah, what's, what's your take on all this? I guess when a budget sort of uh, through policy decisions puts more money back into the economy, uh, it's seen as stimulatory and that boosts spending in the economy and can add to inflation. So many economists have pointed out that because of policy decisions, uh, energy bill relief, the rent relief, the increase in the un unemployment benefit and so on, uh, the, the government is injecting about $12 billion extra into the economy in the next financial year. And so they see that as a stimulus they worry that's going to cause inflation. Uh, the the counter-argument to that is that $12 billion is partly being offset or fully being offset by an extra $42 billion coming out of the economy. And that's because of what economists call automatic stabilizers. When you have good times, uh, the government ends up collecting more revenue. More Australians go into higher tax brackets. They pay more tax. Their wages go up a little bit. Still not in line with inflation, but wages have been going up. That means more personal tax collections, Australians are paying more tax. Um, we've got high iron ore prices. Uh, that means the, uh, the big miners are paying more tax than they normally do. Uh, and that's taking money out of the economy. So when you put together, yes, you got $12 billion going in, but you've got $42 billion coming out. Overall, I see the budget as not adding to inflation. If, if anything, it's, it's probably subtracting from it a little bit. Yes, the truckies tax and the extra $10 to go overseas, those sorts of things add a little bit. 
um, but as it's directly measured, um, the energy bill relief, the lower rents, uh, lower medicine costs, that will actually detract a little bit from inflation. So in the great scheme of things, I don't think it will be noticeable either way, to, to be honest with you. And I'm not concerned that it's going to put more pressure on the Reserve Bank to raise interest rates. For sure. And you briefly mentioned it just then, um, but we'll pivot slightly to personal income taxes. So um, I read somewhere somewhere the other day that uh, personal income taxes back in the 70s and 80s used to be indexed to inflation. That's Now that's no longer the case. Um, we've had a few sort of instances, uh, for example, the uh, low to medium income tax offset um, has been was abolished at the end of uh, last financial year. Um, so what do you make of all this talk about tax? Are the stage three um, tax cuts fair in a time of, um, as, as Jim Chalmers uh, found himself with a surprise uh, budget surplus for this financial year um, off the back of strong wages and uh, stronger um, unemployment figures or rather better unemployment figures. Um, so what are your thoughts on the sort of general um, theme of personal income taxes there? Look, to be honest with you, I think we have a major problem in Australia. At the, at the start of your question, you referred to tax indexation. Uh, in, in a world of very low inflation, low wages growth, it's not an issue. Um, but in a world of higher inflation and higher wage growth, it will be an issue. It obviously was an issue back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and the basic problem is that it's a stealth tax increase, that um, we have these tax brackets beyond which you pay more, uh, your marginal tax rate goes up. Uh, we've got more people earning more. And as they go beyond those tax brackets, uh, they end up paying more in tax. So the top tax bracket uh, of 180,000 uh, was last changed, I think, way back uh, 15 years ago, in the late, uh, late 2000s, 2008 thereabouts. Um, and it's been unchanged ever since. But you've got more people tripping over the line into that tax bracket that was never meant for them. And so it therefore makes sense to push it out. Uh, it also makes sense to change some of the lower tax brackets, which the stage three tax cuts do. Uh, in fact, anyone any more than 45,000 uh, will get a tax cut in that. Now, of course, in dollar amounts, it's a smaller amount than it is for high income earners because high income earners earn more and pay more tax. The dollar amounts are much higher. Uh, so, But when you look at it from a percentage point of view, it looks a lot fairer. Um, so I think it makes sense to proceed with stage three. It was meant to be stage three of a three-part series of uh, tax adjustments starting many years ago. Uh, the initial moves benefited low and middle income earners. We, for many years, we had Lamito, the low and middle income tax offset. Uh, and, and I think if we cancel them all together, it does run the risk of problems with bracket creep. Australians finding themselves in ever higher tax brackets that were never meant for them. Um, and therefore, I think that's unfair. If government wants to raise more revenue, fair enough. Go to the people and adjust the tax rates up or adjust the tax brackets. But um, bracket creep is a bit of a bit of a sleight of hand, unfortunately, and uh, I wish we didn't have it. I wish we had tax indexation. We index the bracket creeps, but we don't have that. Uh, but it does mean that government has to adjust things every so often, which, which is partly what stage three tax cuts will do, along with the other stages um, that we saw over the last few years. So I, I think in the great scheme of things, not proceeding them would, would be a bit of a, bit of a, a problem. Uh, we already rely too much on income tax in Australia relative to indirect tax. Uh, we already have quite a progressive tax system. That progressivity will remain in the system. Um, but I think we do have to give that bracket credit back to people um, rather than uh, taking money away by still. Bracket, uh, tax bracket indexation does seem like it would make a lot of sense. But then obviously governments <laughs> lose the ability to sneakily 
increase their taxes on us. Um, so, um, Shane, let's just move on to housing. Um, I mean, in this budget, we see the government is incentivizing investment uh, for build-to-rent projects and uh, also extending eligibility for the Home Guarantee Scheme. Do you think this does enough to address the current issues with housing affordability? No, look, it's a move in the right direction. This government has put in a bit more effort, I think, on the supply side, which is good. Now, for many, many years, governments just acted on the demand side, give more money to people in one form or another, lower deposits, grants, and so on. They just push up prices. All very good for old baby boomers like me, but bad for everybody else, younger people. Um, and it doesn't solve the problem in any way. I think we have to focus on the supply side. Uh, this government has started to do more on that front. Uh, but, you know, these latest measures will help. Um, build to rent, I think, is a great concept. We don't have enough of it in Australia. Uh, if we make it easier for individuals to invest on that basis and therefore bring more property to market, good news. I don't think it's going to help in the short term, though, because the property market is being swamped by an avalanche of returning immigrants to Australia um, at a time when we simply lack supply. So it, it won't help in the short term. It's, it's certainly a good long-term move. I think the basic problem in Australia is that we seem to forget this. You need to calibrate the number of people coming into the country with the ability of the housing industry to adequately supply property. And we seem to fail to do that. Um, we had an opportunity through the pandemic and the lockdowns when the borders were closed to rethink this. And of course we didn't. As soon as the borders reopened, in come the immigrants, we're back to the same old problems. Um, so unfortunately the budget won't, uh, won't fix that one up. And we'll move slightly to sort of economic forecasts. So I noted um, just by going through the budget papers that Treasury's uh, economic forecast, especially in relation to inflation and, and other major um, economic data, was a bit more optimistic than what the RBA has pegged. If, you know, For example, the RBA doesn't forecast uh, inflation to get back down to target levels by about 2024-25, whereas um, Treasuries were a bit more optimistic. So. Um, what do you make of that? And is it influencing Treasury's uh, sort of positive budget, I guess, and uh, and surplus and, and all the and all those things, all those moving parts? Yeah, it's true that the budget numbers in terms of the economic forecasts are a bit more optimistic, uh, somewhat uh, stronger growth, I think it is. They they you know, the, the RBA is about 0.25% lower in the very short term um, and somewhat lower inflation. Um, I guess in nominal terms, in terms of tax revenue, those things should wash out because the nominal GDP numbers would still be about the same. Um, you've got somewhat lower inflation, you've got somewhat higher growth. So it, it probably doesn't have a huge impact on the overall budget deficit numbers um, in the great scheme of things. And of course, the government could also argue, well, we're only assuming a $60 iron ore price over the medium term. Uh, you know, it's currently over $100, so we've still got a bit of scope on that front uh, for upside surprise here. Uh, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, but obviously, yeah, in terms of the way I see the risks, I think the risks are that we end up with a, a sharper slowdown, more in line with the RBA's slowdown in growth, um, or perhaps a little bit weaker um, and somewhat higher unemployment. But I also think that, that with that slower growth, that sharper slowdown in growth, you'll end up hitting the inflation target earlier than the RBA assumes. So a bit of a mixed bag there, but I think the risks in terms of growth are skewed on the downside given the um, massive amount by, by which people's interest costs have gone up. This one on the RBA, Shane, um, you know, obviously you've made your forecast that you think the cash rate has peaked, uh, but we've seen uh, this week that um, I think it was NAB's chief economist uh, has actually 
um, now changed his forecast to think that this, that we're going to go up to 4.1 or perhaps even uh, another one after that. Have you Are you changing your mind yet on where you think the cash rate is going? Like I, I say, we, we don't move our forecasts around as much. I, I know a lot of banks and others sort of revise, we're above the 4% level and into the last uh, meeting that they, they cut their forecasts. Now they're pushing them back up again. Um, I, don't, I don't think much has happened economically, but the Reserve Bank has signaled that it's more hawkish. Uh, and that's what's driving those changes in forecasts. And I'd have to agree, the risks are certainly on the upside. Uh, we haven't changed our forecasts around as much, but we've been way too optimistic that rates, uh, in terms of the level that rates would ultimately get to, they've, they've gone a lot higher than I would have thought. We've been wrong on that front. Um, we, we think we are close to the top. Our base case is no more hikes from here, but I'm, I'm not particularly, feeling particularly confident in that. And the risk is certainly on the upside in the short term. Uh, the RBA is obviously concerned that inflation is still too high, even though it's starting to fall. Uh, and they're also concerned that that there are signs out there that the property market is turning up again, started in Sydney, but it's spread to other cities as well, Brisbane, Melbourne, elsewhere. Um, Perth never really had much of a fall in the first place. Um, and if that continues, then obviously it reverses the negative wealth effect from falling property prices and makes the Reserve Bank's job harder. They're also concerned about wages growth. So when you put all that together, yes, the risks are still on the upside for interest rates, unfortunately. But I do worry that the RBA is not paying enough attention to the lagged impact of past rate hikes, uh, which uh, are going to lead to, I think, a sharp, a sharp slowing in growth this year and do run the risk of a harder landing and higher unemployment. There you go, straight from the horse's mouth. Shane Oliver, I think that's all we have time for uh, on the Savings Tip Jar podcast. Thanks for being our first repeat guest. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us again and sharing your insights on budget and the RBA. My pleasure, and thanks for having me again.